From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my good friend and co-host and producer Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm fine, thanks. So have you finished eating all the candy out of your Easter basket? Uh, not quite yet. So <laughs> I like to savor it for as long as possible past expiration date. <laughs> yeah, I ignore expiration dates. Yeah, that's, <laughs> see, once I, put, once I put any candy in the freezer, I just say that it's good forever. So um, it hasn't gotten me sick yet. But one day, one day it will, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, we, I, I just I, actually it's funny because this year, Carol and I really didn't exchange a lot of candy. I was still eating the Valentine's Day candy she gave me. Oh, so uh, I, which, yeah, I, I totally uh, understand that. I uh, <laughs> my my mom still sends stuff every single year. You know, she she can't ever stop being a mother. But it's like I, I'm usually finishing. Christmas candy by the time Easter rolls around and then by midsummer that's when I'm getting around to all of the Valentine's Day stuff she sends and then by Halloween I'm getting around to the Easter candy. Yeah well you know out here we have um, cease candies I don't know if you're familiar oh, with them. Oh I'm very yeah. familiar so I had it yeah. on my first trip to California ever yeah. and I've been in love ever since. Yeah. And my favorite C's candy is milk chocolate butter. And mm. so Carol gave me a very small box of it for thanks for um, St. Valentine's Day. And so at Easter, they make little they make Easter egg versions of milk chocolate butter um, mm. eggs. So it's funny because that's what she gave me for Easter. So but I was still eating the Valentine's. Versions. I have a lot of milk chocolate butter eggs and, hey. um, and candies that I have to eat, but um, at least you never run out. Then they're my favorite. No, no. So, well, we have a very special episode today with um, a wonderful guest, and that who is a a Diz darling, as I, I told him off the air, <laughs> and um, and I, I know everybody's going to be very excited for this segment. But I know Craig, you wanted to um, give a little behind the scenes, a backstage technical. Um, uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, pull the yeah. curtains back for our listeners. Exactly. For this so, um, yeah, we do have a very special interview today. And uh, because of the way we are recording this interview, uh, the quality on this episode is going to be a little bit below what uh, we normally have. So uh, the, the information in it is absolutely fascinating. So I hope you can all just uh, put up with the uh, the downgraded quality for for this episode uh to get past it because it is a great one mm -hmm. it'll be worth it yep 
Well, today, Craig and I are bringing you another installment of our series, Walt Disney's Neverland, the Disney that never was. And joining us today is our good friend of the Diz, Disney historian and the writer of over 20 Disney-related books, Jim Corcus, to talk about a film Walt Disney never made, based on a book by Roald Dahl, The Gremlins. Jim, welcome back to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. It's always fun to be with uh, uh, Michael and Craig because you guys are just such wonderful uh, uh, Disney fans, and and you're you're so curious uh, about this. I, I find some Disney fans these days aren't as curious about uh, the history and and especially things that uh, never got done. And so uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you and and sharing this uh, information with the. Uh, 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 listeners, and uh, so thank you so much for this opportunity. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Well, yeah. for our listeners who uh, heard our special bonus episodes at the holiday time, Jim told us, uh, sort of gave us a, an advance notice about his latest book that was just published, um, Gremlin Trouble, the curse rolled doll film Disney never made. And this explores gremlin lore and takes us on Walt's journey as he attempted to work with um, Roald Dahl on transferring the gremlins from the written page to the screen. So, Jim, who came first, gremlins, Roald Dahl, or Walt Disney? Well, uh, Gremlins came first. Gremlins are um, one of the latest uh, uh, creatures in uh, uh, cryptid uh, uh, mythology here. And, and uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, Gremlins are creatures of the air that uh, bedevil uh, uh, pilots and uh, airplanes and, and cause all sorts of... Uh, uh, trouble like dials going off or wings freezing up or or whatever and uh, gremlins of course uh, started to appear as pretty much as soon as uh, uh, airplanes did uh, e- even as far back as the uh, 1917-1918 um, uh, you were getting the Royal Air Force uh, giving reports of uh, uh, malfunctions happening and uh, seeing strange little things, strange little creatures that uh, uh, seem to be causing uh, uh, these problems. In fact, uh, uh, Charles Lindbergh on his very famous uh, uh, flight across the Atlantic in 1927, he waited until 1953 to share the story because he thought people would think he was crazy. But he said over uh, during that flight, uh, at one point he saw these little transparent uh, creatures that looked grim and, and menacing. But but they engaged him in uh, uh, this conversation about uh, navigation and 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 flight equipment and and reassured him that that he was going to be able to to make it across the Atlantic uh, uh, safely. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is, is, uh, uh, of course, a lot of people then go, oh, yes, gremlins, ha, ha, ha. People uh, just came up with that to excuse, you know, uh, their own uh, stupidity or, or dereliction of, of, you know, checking the airplane or, or whatever. 
But uh, people who have seen Gremlins, uh, are just like people who claim they have seen uh, uh, Bigfoot, say, no, it, it's, it's very, very real. And, 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 and it, it's hard to de- describe, you know, uh, what it was like. And so even before World War II, uh, there were a lot of uh, stories on, um, on uh, people who flew, uh, you know, seeing these uh, little men, basically, uh, causing problems on, on airplanes. But of course, it really took off uh, during the uh, World War II uh, uh, years. And, and whether it's because a conflict was going on or uh, uh, the airplanes had become more sophisticated or whatever, but, but that really was the golden age of, of gremlins. So now then how did um, Roald Dahl become involved with the whole Gremlin story? Now, uh, Roland Dahl, who, uh, of course, uh, we all know today as, as the author of, of uh, stories like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Matilda and uh, uh, BFG and Fantastic Mr. Fox and all, all of that, um, during World War II, uh, 1939, uh, he became a Royal Air Force uh, flight lieutenant. And um, so, of course, being in the RAF, uh, he's starting to hear some of uh, these stories. Interestingly enough, Dahl never mentioned that he actually saw gremlins himself, but uh, he heard stories from others. And uh, uh, what happened was um, uh, on one of his flights, he uh, crashed in the desert and literally fractured his skull and his nose and uh, some other physical problems that haunted him for the rest of his life. In fact, uh, after the crash, he, he would start to black out. So what they did is uh, the RAF uh, sent him uh, to Washington, uh, D.C. Um, as an attache because uh, Dahl was a, a striking man, you know, six foot uh, six inches tall. He, he he was very witty, very articulate. He had that great British accent. You know, he he almost looked like a, a movie star. And so they figured, you know, they could use him in the diplomatic corps over there. And uh, in those days, you traveled across the Atlantic uh, by ship, by cruise ship and all of this. Mm-hmm. So um, he was on a troop ship. Uh, going to Washington, and he was talking with another RAF uh, uh, pilot, uh, Douglas Bisgood, and it was a two-week trip. That's how long it took in those days. And uh, during that, they they shared, you know, uh, uh, stories of being in the RAF, and and Bisgood especially shared all these stories about. Um, Gremlins. Biscuit was was going across because he was going to be a uh, uh, flight instructor uh, up in up in Canada, and so Dahl was taking note of all of this and and put it together with other stories that he had heard from his uh, 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 squadron and compatriots, and um, as, as part of recuperating uh, from his crash, uh, he started to jot down. Uh, this story, which he called Gremlin Lore, um, which was uh, about a, a pilot named Gus, 
who uh, was actually the alter ego of, of Dahl, um, being shot down uh, and uh, meeting a gremlin as he was parachuting down and learning the entire history of gremlins uh, while the two of them were uh, floating, waiting to be rescued in the sea, and uh, then uh, uh, convincing the gremlin uh, that, you know, look, we're the good guys. <laughs> And we're we're fighting Hitler, and this is this is something you should be helping us do, and uh, trying to turn the gremlins into being good, and helping him, uh, you know, get back up in the air because uh, uh, the pilot, just like uh, Dahl, uh, uh, had a had a limp and had difficulty with balance, and so uh, the gremlins help him, uh, uh, not to spoil the end of the story, but basically help him to pass his uh, exams so he can go back up there and, you know, bring back peace in our time. So so now Roald Dahl is now an attache in uh, mm-hmm. Washington. So now what is happening now during the war at the Walt Disney Studios? Because can you set the scene for us there? Okay. Well, you know, a lot of uh, people at that time in America did not want to get into the war. And in fact, one of the reasons uh, Dahl was sent over as an attache was also to do public relations, to try and, you know, convince people in Washington that, you know, it's time for you guys to get into the war, (laughs) you know, and, and, uh, you know, help out uh, uh, Britain uh, with all of this. Now, uh, what happened, of course, was um, Pearl Harbor got bombed, and that just changed the uh, entire playing field. And it changed the entire playing field for Disney as well, because Disney had had huge success with uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. In fact, so much success, they were able to build that brand-new studio uh, in Burbank, which is the corporate headquarters today. And, um, but with the war going on in Europe, it closed the European markets to Disney films. And so Pinocchio, which I think is a much better film than, than Snow White, and people can debate me on that, but, uh, I, I've always preferred Pinocchio to Snow White and, um, uh, Fantasia did not make money overseas because there were no markets, you know, uh, to show it. And in fact, in Germany, they banned uh, Disney films, even though Adolf Hitler had a personal copy of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs <laughs> for his own personal home theater to run. But Disney films were banned there. And, and in, in places like um, uh, England, uh, yes, they showed Disney films, but they froze the money which basically meant, you know, yes, we're going to send this money to you, but we're not going to do this until after the war. And after the war, they said, well, we really need the money to rebuild the country. So you can have the money, but you have to use it in England. And that's why Disney made three live action films, starting with uh, Treasure Island, because there wasn't enough money to build an animation studio in England but there was enough to do a couple of uh, live-action films and burn off that money. So anyway, Pearl Harbor happens, and the very next day, 
500 troops show up at the Disney studio in Burbank, this brand new studio that uh, had been built with the money from Snow White. And um, the guard says, well, look, I, I've got to call Mr. Disney because, you know, this is a Sunday. And, uh, you know, we, I, I, and, and the guy said, you can call anybody you want. We're coming in. <laughs> and, and they uh, put in like uh, uh, all this ammunition in, in, in the uh, uh, parking lot. They took over all the sound stages because the sound stages were all uh, completely enclosed, so you could work in the sound stages with the lights on, and the lights wouldn't show, you know, at night, you know, uh, because they were very worried that what was going to happen is uh, the West Coast was going to be attacked. You know, there were going to be bombs and things like that, and three miles away from the Disney studio uh, was uh, Lockheed. So, um, you know, that needed to be protected because the, the, they were building the, the planes and all that were going to, you know, go, go into battle. And so, um, basically, you have 500 uh, soldiers uh, working in the sound stages on anti-aircraft uh, uh, guns that were going to be put along the, the hills, working on military vehicles, all of this. And they were sleeping in the studio. They were sleeping on the floor. They were sleep, you know, wherever they could find room. They set up their own little uh, uh, cafeteria and and all of this, um, you know. And it's war. What what are you going to do? It, it's interesting that this didn't happen to any other Hollywood studio, but it happened to the Disney studio. And um, interestingly enough, this, this all was taking place December eighth. That uh, very same evening, Walt got a call from um, uh, the Navy that said, you know, we need uh, some training films, you know, so that people can identify whether a plane is, you know, uh, from the U.S. or whether it's an enemy plane. And so, you know, you identify by the wings and, you know, uh, different other uh, shapes. And so Walt agreed to do that, and Walt started on a career of producing uh, films for the different branches of the military. And Walt was uh, such a patriot that he did these um, without profit. So they were only charged uh, for the actual cost of the film. Uh, there was no extra overhead or, or anything like that. And in fact, Walt even cut those costs. So uh, things that would have a uh, film that would have cost like hundreds of dollars a foot, uh, he was uh, charging the military four dollars and fifty cents a foot. You know, uh, just uh, because Walt be be believed in this, that you know this was the way. Because he was too old to sign up, he would have liked to have gone into the army. In fact, uh, Card Walker, who. Um, was later a Disney executive, uh, at that time, uh, you know, uh, uh, signed up and, and he remembers a conversation with Walt that where Walt said, I wish I was going along with you. That's what I really want to do is, is to fight for my country. And so Walt decided to fight the only way he could, which was pr providing, uh, all of this. And so, uh, previously in previous years, the, the highest amount of footage that the Disney company produced was maybe about 35,000 
to oh, maybe 37,000 uh, feet a year. Uh, in that first year, doing these military training films, uh, Walt produced um, over uh, 100,000 feet. So basically, uh, you know, almost three times was normally being done. Now, of course, this is more limited animation and, and all of this. And uh, so uh, uh, this became so valuable that, that they moved, you know, after about eight months, they moved all those soldiers off the Disney property, although there were still some uh, in there. In fact, there was an officer who... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> was in Walt's office because Walt's office had a, a had a private bathroom and 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 all of that and Walt said he would come in in the morning you know 7:30 in the morning and here's all this guy's underwear and all this hanging on line stretched through his office you know because the guy <laughs> just slept there and was doing his laundry in in Walt's bathroom um what are you going to do right yeah. so uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so the the Disney studio became classified as a uh, war plant, and so uh, it had a uh, uh, a classified rating. You had to have uh, 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 special uh, uh, identification badges, and uh, there were uh, armed guards on the property because, again, all of this was was super secret stuff that uh, these training films and 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 all of this and. Um, uh, in, in fact, uh, Walt uh, joked about it that this was a, an advantage because his uh, uh, his remaining artists kept getting drafted, and he went down to the draft board and he said, "Look, we're doing you know serious stuff, and if you take all my guys, I'm not going to be able to do this, and I'm not going to be able to train new people to do what they already know how to do." And they said, "Oh yeah, yeah, you make Mickey Mouse, you make Donald Duck," and so Walt said, "Look, come down and visit me." Uh, tomorrow. So the draft board came down and they found that with even the highest clearances they had, they were not allowed into certain areas of the Disney studio because it was so highly classified. And so as a result of that, Walt was able to get uh, uh, some uh, deferments for, for some of his uh, artists so that uh, they could keep doing all of these things. But Walt, you know, is becoming very, very stressed and, and pressured. First off, you're doing limited animation. Walt wants to do all of this full animation. You're doing just these little, you know, all these little short things. And Walt, you know, had had, had such success with animated features. He really wanted to do another animated feature, even with, you know, that skeleton staff uh, that he had. And he had all these military guys, you know, looking over his shoulder and 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 second guessing everything, you know, that that he was doing. And 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 Walt, you know, you never told Walt <laughs> what to do. Walt didn't put up with that stuff. Walt knew what he wanted to do. You know, get out of my way. Let me do what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And uh, when you work with the military, it doesn't work that way. You know. Uh, you have all of these people who really don't know, but but they they want to strut around, you know, their their status and authority to to get this done, and so Walt's getting very frustrated, and that's the background of what was happening when suddenly 
he finds the story about the gremlins. And, and how did he find that story? Well, again, um, Dahl is, is working for the RAF. So, uh, of course, you know, uh, you're under certain uh, uh, restrictions. So anything you write has to go through uh, the information services to be approved. Because, um, uh, first off, you know, maybe you're revealing information innocently that would reveal where your squadron was or where something was located or or what was happening behind the scenes that you know might relate to that so it all has to go through that or or maybe you know you're venting and complaining and we don't want that happening you know we want all everybody to be happy and positive and by golly, we're winning the war and we're doing everything right. And so uh, I sent it to uh, Sidney Bernstein, who uh, uh, had worked in Hollywood. Later, he went on to uh, uh, create uh, Granada TV in, in the UK, which was, you know, uh, they created a, a lot of wonderful, uh, wonderful shows, you know, including Benny Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, so anyway, he saw this and he goes, you know, this is, these little creatures and all this, this is, this is kind of cute and all this. And, and he was an acquaintance of Walt Disney. He wasn't a friend, but he was an acquaintance. And he said, you know, Disney might be interested in this. And so he sent it to Walt. Walt took a look at it. And what Walt was thinking was, hey, this would be a great idea for an animated feature. You know, because you've got these little characters, but these little characters, what Dahl had done is, in the past, gremlins were just sort of generic. They were these strange little creatures, these strange little male creatures, uh, but they were all pretty much all similar. What Dahl had done was Dahl was starting to give personalities to these, which, like Walt had done with uh, the Seven Dwarfs, where you have seven characters pretty much physically look the same, but they're defined by their personalities. And so Walt was taking a look at this, and this is the seven dwarfs in the air, you know? I, I, I could do this, and by golly, you know, this is military-related, so we're working on all these military films. We can use that information. Walt was very fascinated by aviation, in fact, made the, the feature film... Uh, which is live action, uh, uh, victory through air power, and actually mm-hmm. paid for it himself, um, and lost money on it. Lost, uh, by, by the end of 1942, the Disney company was over a million dollars in debt. And that was 1942, when a million dollars really was something. <laughs> you know. Uh, so anyway, Walt's saying, look at this, well, we, we've got these airplanes, we can do this, you know, th- this is patriotic, you know, and by golly, this will keep my, my guys working. It gives them a project, and it'll get us out from all of this, you know. Well, this is how you fire an anti-tank gun, you know. Uh, this is how, you know, uh, you uh, uh, change the head on, on a torpedo. And, you know, here we can get back into entertainment, but we can use all that background that we have, uh, you know, in the military. And uh, this will build up morale there. And by golly, uh, you know, animated shorts don't return that 
much money, but if we have an animated feature that might be able to generate, you know, uh, some income. And, and here's a guy who, you know, this is the, really the first story, the first book he's ever written, you know, and, uh, for crying out loud, I'm Disney. This guy is, is just going to jump at the chance to work with Disney, you know, and have his, you know, done, done the Disney way, uh, for all of this. And, uh, you know, all of these, uh, military, uh, uh, units that were, were working for, they'd probably support something like this because, you know, it's a good morale booster and, and all of that. And so, um, uh, Walt had his, uh, uh, representatives, uh, contact, uh, 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 doll and, uh, said, you know, we're, we're interested in this. Let's, you know, let's get together. Mm-hmm. Now tell us a little about Roald Dahl because we only know him through his stories, but mm-hmm. what, who is Roald Dahl the man? What was he like? Roald Dahl the man was a jerk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, like we were that, 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 oh we were oh you want more than more than that his his ex-wife uh, Patricia Neal who was a uh, was an actress uh, oh, yeah. called him uh, Roland uh, Roland uh, the Rotten uh, because um, again very striking guy and uh, he was a huge womanizer. And uh, he just, it, 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 to give you an example, his best friend was Ian Fleming, uh, uh, who, who wrote uh, James Bond. And they both had that uh, same philosophy of, uh, uh, you know, how you should treat women and, and all of this. And, and that was, uh, and Dahl, you know, he, he could be just so seductive because he had that gift of words. He had that English accent. My gosh, he was a, you know, he was a, a war hero. He had been shot down, you know, uh, and uh, he, he was a, a verified uh, ace in terms of the number of, of kills that uh, he had uh, over there. And uh, um, my gosh, and, and again, he thought an awful lot of himself. He, he, he was very, very vain. And, um, uh, uh, that lasted, you know, his, his, uh, uh, entire life, you know, uh, even his best friends would say that, yes, he, he, he was, he was very full of himself. You know, uh, when, when this was first presented, you know, he said, well, you know, gremlins, yes, they've been around in, you know, RAF, uh, uh, mythology, you know, for years, and everybody knows these and all this. As the years went on, you take a look at his uh, his interviews and and his writing, and he's claiming that he created the name Gremlins, and that Gremlins didn't exist until he wrote about them, and uh, all of that. So so uh, uh, he was also working not just as an attache, but as a spy. <laughs> he was gathering information that he was sending back to uh, uh, Prime Minister Winston Churchill and also uh, William Stevenson, who, uh, uh, for those who are familiar with spies during World War II, his, 
His code name was Intrepid. In fact, there's a book called Code Name Intrepid. And so basically his function, and Ian Fleming was doing this too, by the way, was, was to try and promote, you know, uh, support of, of Britain during World War II, especially in Washington. Uh, so, so he was uh, uh, flirting with uh, uh, all of these uh, uh, high society women, uh, uh, <laughs> in, including uh, uh, Claire Luce from uh, Time Magazine, you know, owned Time Magazine there, and um, sleeping with them and then, you know, dropping them and, and the whole bit, and also trying to gather information. And, uh, by the way, when Gremlins became successful, he sent a copy to uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. And uh, she enjoyed it so much that invite, uh, and she said, oh, I, I read this to my grandchildren, and they, they love this, invited him to the White House, and he used that as a lever uh, to get access to FDR, you know, uh, to do all, all of these uh, uh, things. So... Uh, my gosh, it, uh, but again, very striking guy, and uh, when you first met him, he's just extremely charming, you know, and, uh, you know, you just uh, fall under that uh, uh, spell for that to happen, and, and Walt did as well, you know, un until he starts to see that, you know, well, we want you to sign this contract, how come you gave it to this lawyer? And and all says, oh well, you know that really means nothing whatsoever. And you know I really don't care for lawyers at all. But you know as long as he's got it now, you know I'll I'll just let it go through its course there. And and so he would always say one thing, but he had another agenda uh, right behind it. But um, again, a huge imagination. One of the things he he wrote to Winston Churchill was that. Uh, uh, FDR was having a uh, an affair with a Norwegian princess. Hmm. That didn't happen at all. Yeah. That wasn't even close. But but Dahl just loved uh, exaggeration. He loved gossip, you know. And uh, that's the kind of guy he was. Hmm. Uh, but it, eventually, um, arrangements were made uh, to get the story. But um, because Dahl was still part of the RAF, um, this money couldn't directly come to him. So um, it's like if you work for a company and somebody wants to buy something, it actually you develop this on the company's time, it's owned by the company. And, and so the um, uh, royalties and, and profits and all would go to the RAF uh, Benevolent Fund, you know, uh, and uh, but Dahl being um, a little uh, put out by all of this, uh, instigated that there should be a special clause in the contract called Clause 12, mm -hmm. which basically said um, the RAF and the RAF's representative, which was Dahl, would have total approval of the film. And so even if the film was finished, if that representative said, no, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that's just not, you know, that's it. You can't release the film. 
Mm. And now Dahl is trying to assure Walt, well, you know, that won't happen. We're just doing this, you know, for protection because, you know, we don't want the RAF to be embarrassed and, you know. But Dahl did that so that he was always in control. Whatever Walt did and and his team did, at any point, Dahl could say, well, that's not really, you know, what a gremlin looks like. That's not really, you know, and you have to go back to the drawing board. Now, Walt felt, you know, listen, I've overcome, you know, a, a lot of, of, of people. And, and, and this guy, you know, is, is literally fresh off the boat. You know, I can charm him and we can make this happen. But as the process started to go along, that started to come up more and more. Where where Dahl would uh, Walt would have a question, and Dahl would just not be available, and so you know progress on the film stalled, or they would come up with with something, and then Dahl would complain. No, why did you do that? You know, and and then Dahl would give these interviews to uh, newspapers about, well, Disney thinks they know about Gremlins, but you know the only authority are are those of us who who fly. And especially those of us in the in the uh, RAF, you know, so uh, it, it's not going to be left to uh, Disney to you know create this stuff. Hmm. So, uh, but Dahl liked Disney, well, liked Walt personally, had nothing but good things to say about him for the rest of his life. And not everybody who worked with Walt or worked with Disney could could do that. And Walt liked uh, uh, Dahl, and even gave him a a, a nickname. Stalky, uh, because uh, Walt had difficulty pronouncing his first name. So by calling him Stalky, which which was actually a reference to a character in a, a, a Rudyard uh, Kipling novel, and interestingly enough, the character in the Rudley, Rudyard Kipling novel is a really an unpleasant person who who is just <laughs> a bully who uses his good looks and and his, his ability to to speak well, you know. To, uh, in fact, somebody reviewed the novel and said uh, it's an unpleasant novel about unpleasant kids at an unpleasant school. Hmm. And there were actually worse reviews than that. But but uh, Dahl, uh, who was quite a fan of, of Kipling, took that as you know uh, actually a compliment because Walt meant it as a compliment, you know, because the the character superficially is, is is you know charming and and you know the leader of of the group and all that. So Funny. here's Walt. You know he he's turning out all of these uh, training films. He's under a lot of pressure. Uh, the studio is losing uh, uh, money. Uh, you know he's had to put things on hold. Um, you know, because he had uh, uh, Cinderella, Peter Pan, all of this under development, all of that had to be put on the shelf. He's basically, you know, uh, uh, betting heavily that, yes, we can do this film and, uh, you know, this will get us out of the hole and this will save a lot of things. And, and his concept was, we're going to do this live action uh, because again, live action could be done uh, less expensively, could be done quicker, and we'll have the gremlins as uh, animated characters. They in in 1942 they even shot a uh, a test reel that unfortunately seems to have disappeared uh, of of planes, and then they you know 
uh, just like in Roger Rabbit, you, you have the live action and you put the cell, you know, over the live action and you, you have the, the little character there and then you film that. And so it looks like, you know, the characters running back and forth on the wings and all that. And apparently it was a huge success where it's like, we could do this. And the point of that too was we're going to have live people. So we create that sense of, you know, well, this is really real, you know, uh, for this to happen. But then the problem becomes, what's the story? Because, uh, uh, doll's story was what, less than, uh, 50 pages. And, and it's more of a vignette rather than, you know, a beginning, middle and an end. And there's conflict and there, there's all of this, but, by golly, this is Walt, the greatest storyteller of all time. Surely we can we can handle this. Now, I know, well, that's interesting because one of the things about Gremlins was that, you know, previously Walt made films that were based on stories the public was familiar with, um, mm-hmm. like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Pinocchio, Bambi. The story of Gremlins, they were pretty much unknown to the American public. So, how was how was Walt planning to overcome that to make Gremlins known prior to the release of the film? My gosh, that's an excellent question. You know, uh, Walt, uh, uh, of course, was was familiar with all sorts of you know uh, mythological characters, and uh, he, he saw these almost like leprechaun uh, type characters and all that. But you're right; it's completely unfamiliar. Uh, in America, it, it very well known over uh, in uh, in England, but nothing here, and so that was one of the challenges that you you have to have to develop, and uh, so Walt decides we've got to make you know uh, Americans familiar with these characters, and this is where he makes a major mistake. Because, uh, yes, people aren't familiar, but as Walt starts to make the characters familiar, the, the film's not even in production yet. And so you're building up all of this anticipation. You know, it, it's, like, um, it's like if I told you, you know, I just discovered the secret diaries of Walt Disney, and these are going to be published soon. Well, now you're all excited, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't get published for 20 years. Your excitement <laughs> dies. <laughs> you go, so where's that book? Is it finished yet? Is it re-? That's one of the reasons I try not to announce a book until it, it, it's done. But uh, what Walt has to do is he has to get gremlins out there. And the other problem is he has to have them identified with Disney. Because, of course, gremlins are public domain. Right, mm-hmm. the RAF pilots have had them. Well, anybody could make a Gremlins thing. Anybody could write a, a, a Gremlins book, whatever. So what Walt has to do is he has to come up with definite character designs that are specifically related to Disney, so you can copyright and trademark those specific designs. You know, it, it's like Snow White. Snow White is public domain, so anybody could do that, right? I bet very few Disney fans realize that Disney's version of Snow White 
is copyrighted and trademarked, including the colors and the proportion of the colors and the relation of the colors. So if if you go, well, I'm going to do Snow White here, better not look like Snow That's why when, when Snow White popped up on the uh, Academy Awards that one year with, with Rob Lowe, the very yes. next day Disney sued. Because, yes, Snow White is, is public domain. Disney Snow White is not. You know? Uh, and, and, again, you have to uh, uh, sue because you have to uh, uh, show that you're aggressively protecting your copyright or trademark. If you don't, you can lose it. That's why once upon a time on, on uh, TV and all that, if somebody said, well, I'm going to go Xerox this, they would get a Xerox letter from the Xerox company that says, were you using Xerox or were you just photocopying? Because we don't want Xerox to become you know, a generic term for photocopying. Mm-hmm. Just like Kleenex is a specific thing. It's not tissue. It's Kleenex. And and so you have to to aggressively protect that. So with the gremlins, Walt's got to come up with a way to protect, you know, um, uh, gremlins so that not other animation studios or films or whatever are going to use gremlins or at least the gremlins that Disney has now made popular and familiar. So the first thing you have to do is you have to come up with a design. And so... Uh, a, a lot of the Disney artists, you know, worked on, on, on designs and all this. And um, Walt finally assigned um, uh, animator Bill Justice to work specifically with uh, Dahl uh, to, to create the, these characters. Now, Bill Justice, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person. Mm-hmm. And, and as an animator, uh, probably best known for... Uh, a lot of the uh, Donald Duck cartoons and and all the Chip and Dale cartoons. That's 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 Bill's work there. And uh, later went on to be an Imagineer, programming uh, audio animatronics, programming all the audio animatronics for uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and uh, all of that, and and doing all sorts of other uh, uh, special things like stop motion titles for Disney live action films. So anyway, this is uh, Bill's first big assignment uh, at Disney. And, and Bill was selected because um, he was developing a reputation uh, for doing cute characters with appeal. Uh, he, he had uh, worked on uh, Thumper in Bambi. He had, he had worked on the uh, uh, mythological, uh, uh, cute little mythological characters in, in Fantasia in the Pastoral uh, Symphony uh, uh, section there, and and Bill's hero, of course, was uh, animator Freddie Moore, who was the Disney animator who who could give appeal to to characters. Uh, Freddie was the one who redesigned Mickey Mouse into the Mickey Mouse that we know and love today, instead of that scrawny little rubber hosed uh, uh, arms and legs uh, uh, character there. Um, Freddie Moore is the one who uh, came up with those cute little centerettes in, in the Pastoral Symphony and all that. Mm-hmm. Freddie Moore, even today, Freddie Moore by Disney animators is considered, you know, the ultimate. I, I, I remember talking with uh, 
Disney animator uh, Frank Thomas, and one time he showed me something, and it was just a little uh, stub of, of a pencil, and, and and he says, "Oh my gosh, this this is you know one of my absolute treasures," and I thought, "What are you talking about?" He says, "This was Freddie Moore's pencil," and he threw it away, and I and I grabbed it, and he says, "And one of these days." I'm going to need a little extra magic to draw something, and I'm saving it for that. You know, <laughs> and uh, so uh, Bill's hero was uh, Fred Moore, so he was emulating that type of style of cute characters, which was very important because when you start to look at Gremlins, hey, these are bad guys. They're 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 sabotaging planes. They're they're harassing how... pilots. Yeah, you know, and, and it's turning that around. <laughs> yeah, and, and and my gosh, this is World War II. The, the, what are, what are these Hitler's minions here do, doing this? And so the important thing is let's make them cute. And 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 you're right. Walt Walt had to turn this around. And the re, way Walt was doing that was in a story sense. And this is not in Dahl's original book. In the in in the in the story sense, it, it's basically the reason these gremlins are doing this is, you know, their entire home has been devastated, you know, by building airplane fields and, and, and all this. So they don't know anything about the war. They just know, Hey, we were living peacefully here and you came here and, and you tore all of this up. And once we went up into the clouds, you, we've got these noisy uh, uh, gas things, you know, piling through and zipping through and disrupting everything, you know? So that, of course we would be angry and we want to retaliate. So anyway, Bill comes up with characters and comes up with a specific uh, uh, character, uh, Gremlin Gus. And uh, so, so this is distinctive, this can be copyrighted, this can be trademarked, you can put this out on merchandise, and and this is what Disney is doing. And so there was a, a an ad for Lifesavers that featured the Gremlins, uh, Bill's design there, and uh, there were uh, uh, comic book uh, stories drawn by Walt Kelly, who later went on to do uh, uh, Pogo, and um, there were jigsaw puzzles. And and Disney had a, a, a genius of marketing, Kay Kamen who came in and, you know, tried to find, you know, as many things that they could as quickly as possible so that Gremlins and Disney would be tied together uh, for, for this uh, uh, to happen. And uh, you would think the doll would be over the moon on this. Oh, my gosh, you know, this is, this is wonderful that, you know, my characters are, are getting all of this. And he wasn't. Because because Dahl just wanted to undercut everything, and so he goes, well, that's fine for now, but that's really not what a gremlin looks like. And it's like, wait, we gave you Bill Justice; he's been with you, you know, twenty four seven, and uh, you know, you see what he's drawing and all this. How come you're coming now and saying no? That's not it, you know. Well, all gremlins uh, should wear uh, derby hats. <laughs> Why? Well, because I know gremlins, and that's what they wear. And it's like, that makes no sense whatsoever. I, I can see them wearing flight helmets and all this. Why are they wearing derby hats? Well, you know, you really can't understand unless you're a pilot. 
you know? And uh, then it was like, okay, anything that, uh, you know, was causing mischief, well, that must be gremlins. No, no. Listen, I'm a pilot, and I will tell you, the only people who can see gremlins are pilots, and gremlins only take place in the air. So how you have them in this Lifesaver advertisement, it just makes me sick to my stomach. You know? And and so this is the type of attitude Dahl is doing. He, he's literally sabotaging himself and sabotaging the film. And there's no need to do that. You know, there's no need to do that at all, other than the fact that he wants to establish, I'm in charge. Now, Dahl is also getting pressure from some segments of the RAF that are upset that he's being flown out to Hollywood you know, he, he's going to these uh, uh, parties. Uh, he's meeting these actresses who he's sleeping with. And, um, uh, you know, uh, what's this? And my gosh, this is going to hold up the uh, RAF to ridicule. You know, little elves, little creatures that nobody can ever see. You know, my gosh, we're, we're serious. We're serious about this. And there's a war going on. You know, and, and what are people going to say, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that, that you know, uh, the thing that Walt Disney uh, knows about World War II is gremlins, you know? That, that, that's, that's just horrendous. And so Walt's getting, uh, Dahl's getting this pressure too, so he's, you know, doubling down that, you know, no, 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 this is an important project, and it's important because I'm in charge. You know, you what? can't pull me back to, 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 you know, to just being an attache. I'm too important now. Well, I know you, know, you mentioned that Walt brought Dahl out to Hollywood to try to get the story down and everything so that it could move forward with the film. But in your book, Gremlin's Trouble, you just said that, that Dahl was just an obstacle and, and mm-hmm. a hindrance to making the film. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, one day while Walt was away, Dahl was just bored, so he took all of the, the Disney artists and storymen working on this over to uh, Hoagie Carmichael, uh, Hoagie Carmichael, a very uh, popular uh, musician, uh, to his pool so that they could just spend the day, you know, around the pool. You know, uh, uh, one night they couldn't find Dahl. Apparently he was uh, over at Ginger Rogers' house. Uh, for the entire night, so you know, uh, <laughs> uh, and 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 he insisted on being put up at the Beverly Hills Hotel. So the weeks that he was out here, the Disney Studio was paying for him to be at the Beverly Hills Hotel and running up these huge uh, room service bills and 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 all of this, you know. And Dahl <laughs> felt he deserved this. You know, and, and again, money is... T- I told you, Disney Studio is in debt. Um, and, and Walt, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, you know, it, it, in, invested uh, in this, you know, with nothing to show. Nothing to show because you create something and Dahl goes, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't talk, I can't talk to you now. But... but but the interesting thing is, is this book, because one of the ways Walt wants to get, you know, 
the recognition out there to America is they publish a copy of, of uh, uh, Dahl's uh, story as a book, as a hardcover book, uh, with um, Bill Justice's uh, uh, illustrations in there. And so this establishes Dahl no longer as just a pilot. He's an author. He has a published book. And so this was actually the springboard <laughs> into making him the author that later gave us Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and uh, uh, all the all these other stories. And, and people tend to forget, too, that he also wrote uh, some very, very dark um, uh, uh, short stories, uh, uh, Tales of the Unexpected, which later became a TV series. And he... Uh, Ian Fleming gave him an idea for a story, and, and uh, one of Dahl's uh, uh, famous stories, Lamb to the Slaughter. Basically, it's about these police who, who keep coming to this house, and they're sure that this woman has killed her husband, but, you know, they can't find uh, any evidence of it. But, but, my gosh, she's just a magnificent cook, and uh, you know, so they go over there and they're trying to find and they can't find the husband. And so we all know what it is that she's cooking and serving these police officers. But that was an idea from Ian Fleming and Dahl took it and then never gave Fleming credit uh, for it at all. He, he didn't feel that Fleming was a good writer at all. Um, but, uh, yeah. It, 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 this establishes Dahl as, as a writer, so Dahl gets something uh, out of this. But, you know, later we discover that all these things that uh, Dahl was, was, was uh, doing, even the names, these imaginative names for these uh, characters, because you have Gremlin, of course, mm -hmm. which um, was already in existence, and um, there are many different... Uh, uh, versions of where the term gremlin came from. But Dahl comes up with uh, the female gremlins are going to be called uh, Fifinellas, mm -hmm. and the baby gremlins are going to be called uh, Widgets, and um, the, uh, the, the gremlins that fly high above 30,000 feet, they're spandules and all this. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, uh, uh, Dahl came up with names, you know, like Oompa Loompas and all this, it wasn't until much, much later that it was discovered that all of these were names that he stole from that RAF pilot, Douglas Biscuit, uh, on that two-week trip. And, and, yeah. and Biscuit actually wrote, once he starts to see this publicity, wrote to Walt Disney and said, wait a minute, <laughs> that's my story. And in fact, you have Gus there. Gus is my nickname. Douglas Gus is my nickname. And, um, you know, all these names you have, Fifth and L, all this, these are names that I created, and I've used them, you know, telling stories before and, and, and with my family. Now, Walt gets this, and he goes, uh, this is just another guy, you know, trying to hop on the bandwagon. You know, that always happens, you know. Uh, I, you know, it, it, it's happened to me, you know, people suddenly go, no, wait a minute. That was my idea, you know, uh, and, and all of this. And, and he talks to Dahl and Dahl goes, oh yeah, he, he, he's an expert on, on gremlins, but, but he won't cause any trouble. Hmm. Dahl had stolen it, you know, 
uh, from this RAF uh, pilot, which, which again is one of the reasons I think that Dahl never liked to talk about this as, as his first book. Because first off, he didn't own it. It was owned by the Disney Studios. You know, it. In in fact, it is to this day. For for you know, over fifty years, it was the only doll book that had never ever been reprinted because it was owned by Disney. Disney had bought the rights to this. Um, fascinating story. Fascinating story. Yeah. Where do you want to go from yeah. here? You, well, you know, there's all this information, and there's so much more in. You know, uh, Gremlin Trouble, Trouble, which (laughs) is available at Amazon.com, by the way, at a -hmm. a very, very reasonable price. And, you know, in the book, we don't even just talk about Disney's Gremlins. Uh, I have a chapter on those uh, uh, Warner Brothers, the the two Warner Brothers uh, uh, Gremlin cartoons, like the one with uh, uh, Bugs Bunny in it and all of that. And and what happened is um, uh, Roy Disney was so worried that other studios were, were, you know, registering titles for Gremlin movies and all that, he went to every animation studio and said, look, we've invested all of this money into this project, and it's an animated feature. If you guys come out with these short cartoons, it's going to undercut us. Could you, could you please, you know, just not do Gremlin cartoons for, for a while until, until we get this, you know, uh, under control? And interestingly enough, and and people don't realize what a wonderful person Roy O. Disney, Walt's older brother, was personally. They had such respect and affection for him that every studio said, "Okay, we'll withdraw the Gremlin title." You know, Walter Lance. Okay, we won't we won't do this. You know, Columbia. We won't do this. Uh, Warner's had two that were so far into production that they couldn't afford not to do them. But what they did is they took Gremlin out of the title. So Bugs Bunny meets the Gremlin became Falling Hair. And Gremlins from the Kremlin became um, Russian Rhapsody. And then Warner Brothers later went on to make that um, uh, that Joe Dante uh, uh, right. feature film. And Joe Dante, when the film was in production... This is the great thing about doing research is, is I found a quote from him that said, oh, yes, I re- read the Roland Dahl book, and uh, that inspired me to do this. When the film came out, he had to, you know, step back and say, no, no, this, this really has nothing to do with that film because our gremlins look different and they behave differently and, you know, none of that. And but, there's a, but there's a scene of them watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs yes. <laughs> in the film. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there is, and, and uh, of course, the the, the most famous uh, gremlin for me, is, uh, and the one that scared me to death as a kid, was the Twilight Zone episode where William Shatner is on the plane yes. and he pulls back the curtain. There's the gremlin on the wing, and, and that was written by a terrific author, uh, Richard Matheson, and Rod Serling uh, 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 tried to do a gag one time when they were going to be flying somewhere. He had a photo blow up made of the gremlin and he had it put outside the window of the plane where matheson was was going to sit but remember back in those days this is these are propeller planes prop planes so before matheson could sit down the 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 propeller starts and it blows the thing off (laughs) so you and that story's in the book here uh too along with disney's attempts 
um, to revive. You know, uh, uh, Katzenberg, uh, when Disney Afternoon was, was such a, a big thing, you know, you had DuckTales and uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers and Tailspin and all of that. Katzenberg, you know, went back and, and took a look at, you know, what other projects do we have that we could develop? And he, he saw that Disney still owned, uh, you know, the Gremlins. And so uh, was looking at, you know, can we make this, you know, a, and we've got the character designs, and, and these character designs are just so cute, you know, and, and kids, kids love things that create mischief, you know, Stitch later, you know, uh, showed that, so we'll make this, you know, a, a syndicated uh, a TV show for, uh, for Disney TV animation, but at the same time, uh, the sequel to the movie Gremlins was coming out and Warner Brothers announced that they were going to do uh, an animated series because Warner Brothers uh, had that uh, uh, competing block, you know, uh, the WB Kids thing, the competing mm-hmm. thing to uh, Disney Afternoon. And and that fell apart because Gremlins 2 did not do as well as people hoped, so that went. But anyway, that, that disappeared. And... Um, uh, let's Jerry circle, Reese. Let's hmm? circle back to the um back to the Walt and the film. So Walt released Gremlins merchandise. The the storybook was out there. He had two different scripts to consider and, and, for the and, film. And not only just two different scripts, but variations of other mm-hmm. <laughs> scripts that yeah. might be so th- there wasn't one official story. Uh, th- there were two scripts that were fully developed, but it wasn't a case of, well, let's choose between this one or that one. It was like, well, we had these other ideas, you know, where, where there's a nurse, you know, and, and uh, you know, her, her brother is in the RAF, and, and this is, you know, and, and we'll have gremlins that, you know, mimic these characters and all that. So there was a lot going on. Nothing had been nailed down. Ward, Ward Kimball said it was cuter... Uh, to talk about gremlins mm-hmm. in, instead of trying to figure out who are these guys, why are they doing what they're doing, and why should we be interested? So is that ultimately what killed this project? I mean, why, why did Walt, after all this investment of money and time and resources, decide not to make the film? I, I know, you know. Well, again, you know, sometimes films just just don't work you know um it, 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 like bill justice uh, told me you know all the ingredients were there but it wasn't soup yet mm-hmm. you know so all the things that oh, well this should work this should you know and um so there, there were a lot of different smoking guns about uh uh why this didn't happen and um one of them of course was was, was doll you know uh, if he had been more cooperative, uh, by golly, you know, it, it, things could have gone on and, and could have been done within that first year. And that, and would that have been a classic Disney animated film or would have that been, you know, uh, an archaic, uh, uh, oddity like victory through air power, which, you know, uh, is so dated, uh, nobody wanted to, uh, uh take a look at that. Uh, you know, another problem was, was Walt was just really afraid of 
you know, the further along I get with this, we've got that clause 12. One of the, the RAF could just step in and say, no, I don't think so. You know, and I've invested all of this time, all of this money, what's going to happen. But, but the, one of the big nails in the coffin was, um, uh, Walt, uh, brought in, uh, other RAF, uh, pilots to talk to. And he started to see that these guys didn't believe in gremlins. They just thought it was a joke, you know? And, and Walt goes, well, look, you know, it, if they think it's a big joke, how can, how can I expect, you know, uh, an audience, uh, to accept that as real? You know, and uh, in fact, that's one of the things that uh, prevented uh, Darby O'Gill from being developed. You know, Walt uh, picked up the rights to the Darby O'Gill stories in the in the 40s, but you don't get the film until 1959 because um, uh, Walt wanted to really be sure that uh, people in Ireland believed in in leprechauns. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for for that uh, to happen. Well. And again, there's a question about whether the RAF pilots thought it was a joke or it was like, you know, yes, we'll talk about this among ourselves, but, you know, with the general public, with the mundane people, we'll just pass it off as, as, as a joke, you know, because this is just uh, uh, something that's for us, you know, uh, for that to happen. And, uh, of course, the, the big thing, too, was, they just couldn't nail down the story, you know, and, and that's not unusual. Uh, a lot of people, uh, um, uh, forget that, uh, uh, when Peter Pan was released, Walt said, well, the next film we're making is beauty and the beast. Mm-hmm. He mentioned that in Newsweek magazine. And, uh, of course it took, it took forever because Walt kept looking at that story and he says, this is just two people who are talking to each other, you know, over dinner. Uh, you know, I, I, what's the story there? You know, it, it took a Howard Ashman uh, to say, let's make the entire castle enchanted. You know, so you have all of these other personalities and you've upped uh, the ante. You know, it's not just the beast that needs to be saved. It's, the beast needs to be saved so that all these others get saved as well. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was the key to, uh, to do that. You know, in, in the forties, Walt was working on little mermaid and, you know, how, how do you do that? Because, you know, uh, in, in the original, uh, uh, fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen, she doesn't get the prince. You know, she dies. <laughs> she dies. She goes into sea foam for crying out loud. Yeah. <laughs> After going, you know, nobody wants that. You know, <laughs> as a story. So the same thing with Gremlins. It's like we're close, but it's not soup yet. You know, we've yeah. we've got these ingredients here, and and so Walt thought of other ways. Well, let's make it all animation. Well, the problem with that is it's very hard to animate, especially in those days realistic human figures, you know, uh, people are more, uh, accepting of, of characters like the dwarves and all that, even though they look human, it, it's, it's cartoonish and it's caricature and, and, and all of that, you know, but if you, uh, 
that's one of the reasons the prince doesn't pop up more often in, in Snow White and uh, 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 the, the Seven Dwarfs is because he's really hard to draw, you know, and, and people immediately recognize, oh, that's, that's not like how a human would go. That's not how, and, and so Walt thought, okay, can we save this? Can we make, uh, can we make it as short? Can we make it a series of shorts? And again, they're running into the, into the same problem. Uh, how do you explain this? Do you have a, a, an off-screen narrator talking about gremlins and, and, and uh, the whole point of this? Or, um, you know, how do you get about doing this? And, and Walt had some of his, his top story people working on this, and, and they just couldn't find that hook, you know, that, that, that would, would make that work. And then the, uh, the final nail in the coffin is... We win the war. Yeah. That should be a <laughs> yeah, good thing, it. right? But <laughs> but it's like, okay, why would people be interested in gremlins now? You know, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to have to come, you know, through a, a whole different uh, version. In in fact, when Dark Horse uh, revived the Gremlins mm-hmm. for a comic book series and for merchandise and all that, uh, they were only allowed to get the license from Disney if they removed. Uh, the military aspects of it. Disney didn't want those uh, gremlins and all that associated with the military uh, aspects anymore. You know, yes, they they could be devil uh, pilots in the planes, but you know, it's a little controversial to 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 deal with you know uh, the military and war and and all of that. And and yet that's really a, a core part of them there and let's get into that so gremlins you know like like a whole lot of things with disney they don't truly go away they do come back when uh dark horse books reprinted the original roald Dahl book the gremlins in 2006 leonard malton does mention you jim in the introduction that he wrote <laughs> for the book as a valuable yeah, well, well leonard but, oh i i love <laughs> leonard i i grew up with leonard out in uh, in uh, los angeles when he was uh, uh on entertainment tonight and uh, i uh before this book I, I i was constantly writing little articles about gremlins trying to dig up more information and i wrote a uh, 10,000 word article and uh, uh leonard phoned me up and he says they asked me to write an introduction for this, but I know you're the expert. Can I use that material? <laughs> and I said, sure, Leonard. And then, yeah, it took me completely by surprise where uh, in there uh, he mentions me. And, and so because a lot of people, you know, take uh, information and it's like, well, information belongs to anybody. But Leonard is a ch- true gentleman, a, a true uh, uh, historian, and he's been in that uh, – on the other side of it as well, where people have taken things from him and it's like, well, the only place you could have gotten that was Leonard Moulton, but you're not mentioning Leonard, mm-hmm. Leonard Moulton. So he, he put that in. It, so it was yeah, well, very kind. Yeah. And in your book, Gremlin Trouble, you do mention that when Disney gave uh, permission to Dark Horse to reprint the Gremlins and, and do comic books, they said, you have to do a modern version of the Gremlins. Mm-hmm. And bring them up to date. And then they reprinted. They then made a book in 2016 um, that 
I, I just picked up the Walt Disney Family Museum a couple of weeks ago uh, mm-hmm. called Return of the Gremlins. And right. it's based on the characters created by Roald Dahl. Again, you are mentioned by Leonard Malton <laughs> in the introduction <laughs> of this. Um, and as, as being a valuable I've, resource. I've got to send Leonard 20 bucks or something here <laughs> yeah. for that. But um, this is really a delightful book. Uh, it's a con- a modern continuation mm-hmm. of the Gremlin story, and it, it, it has it's some like great the son or the grandson or whatever, right? It's going the back grandson to... of, mm-hmm. of Gus. Yeah, going back to um, it continues to, to, where, the, to the family uh, homestead family there in 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 the UK, and uh, finding that the Gremlins are still there, that they're ageless. Yeah, Gremlin Gus is still there, and you're right. They um, they're still mischievous, but they they've turned their attention, you know, away from aircraft, mm-hmm. and and it's mainly there. But it's back to that theme of they're they're trying to save their home, you know. Yes. And um, but and there's also some great reprints of um, wonderful from, 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 from those comic here. books in the '40s, right? Yeah. Yes, and the original Cosmopolitan uh, magazine article mm-hmm. that that Roald Dahl first wrote under a pseudonym, um, Pegasus, I think. Was right, that right, it? and 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 again, had to be under a pseudonym because remember he's still a member of the RAF, and so uh, he has to get official approval to use his real name. Now, now they were able to do that for the book. But for the Cosmopolitan article, that came out so quickly that it wasn't able to go through um, uh, what I want to say, the process and the red tape and all of that to say, yes, he can be identified. Because, again, if you're identified, you know, now you're a representative of the RAF. And and here's something I don't think it, it mentions uh, uh, in that book, but here's something for you and, and, and something for your readers. In the Cosmopolitan article, the color paintings are by Mary Blair. Really? Wow. Yes, and 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 <laughs> the very fr- and as we're talking about giving credit to people, the very first person who told me that is uh, Mark Kausler, a wonderful uh, uh, animator. He's done a lot of Disney films, a lot of other uh, films as well, but. Um, what a wonderful uh, historian! But he doesn't want—he doesn't like to write. So all of this information he has in his head is just going to disappear. And I yell at him about that. But uh, yes, he identified that, and then later we were able to confirm that. And so yes, that artwork for those people who are who are um, uh, Mary Blair fans, make sure you pick up uh, a, a copy of that book, and you'll see some color Mary Blair paintings. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. No existence. <laughs> Yeah, that is great. So, um, and, and and again, you know, those of you who are listening to this podcast, you can only get this from Michael and Craig. You only get this information from Michael and Craig. So make sure you tune in all the time because you never know what you're going to miss. Uh, now, in your book, Gremlin's Trouble, what really struck me was that your introduction was written by the great Bill Justice, who, who passed died away in, in 2011. So how did that come to be? Well, with Ouija boards today, they're <laughs> very, very... <laughs> now, what, what happened is uh, I was a longtime friend of, uh, of Bill's, and um, 
1997, uh, he was out here when I was working at the Disney uh, Institute as an animation instructor. Bill came out and was doing presentations um, at uh, Feature Animation Florida. Boy, do I miss that. And uh, he also came in to the Disney Institute. And I showed him the rough drafts of two books that uh, I was working on that I assumed, <laughs> this is 1997, I assumed was going to be printed soon. Uh, and uh, one of them uh, was a book about uh, Jack Hanna, who had directed a lot of the Donald Duck and, and Chippendale cartoons. And I had interviewed uh, Jack many, many times, so I had several interviews, which I had transcribed, I, I had supplemental material. And on the Gremlins, I started working on researching the Gremlins uh, back in um, 1980, when I was just a baby, just a, just a little baby crawling. Oh my gosh, uh, so, yeah, this that, is like a first grade project for you. <laughs> yes, so n 1980 was when I first heard about this. And, and again, I'm always fascinated about, you know, things that never got made and why, you know. And, um, and especially when it comes to Disney. And so that, that was the first I had heard of Gremlins, and I saw two little um, uh, illustrations done by Bill, and it's like, I've got to know more about this. What is this? And, and so uh, uh, by 1997, I had what I thought was, well, this is going to be the definitive book on Gremlins. And so I showed both of these to Bill, and I said, would you ever consider you know, uh, writing a, uh, you know, forward uh, for these. And he said, oh, sure. And he flew back to California, and in the next week, I got forwards for both of them. And I said, okay. I said, this is great, because the book's going to come out soon, so now I don't have to worry about that. Twenty years later, <laughs> little did I suspect that the gremlins would get involved, and but but I'm glad uh, I'm glad I waited. First off, because uh, I have a better publisher. Theme Park Press is uh, uh, outstanding. They they really care about um, uh, presenting this material to uh, uh, Disney fans and presenting it in a in a, a professional, good looking uh, package. And also, I found more material. And and uh, I, I've talked with uh, uh, you about this b before. After the book got published, suddenly even more information came out. That letter, that you, you yeah. would figure after 30 years, yeah, you found everything there is to find. There's nothing more to find. With Disney, there's always something more to find. There's always something more that, that, that comes out. There's always something more that, you know, you never knew, and yet oftentimes it's there in plain sight. I know you got a letter from Michael um, Bisgood. Um, yes, talking, yes, talking the, more the, the about, son of, uh -huh. of, of Douglas Biscuit. I didn't even know this guy was alive, and obviously he didn't know I even existed or I was writing about the Gremlins. And yet, when the book came out, he goes, "Thank you for being, you know, uh, it, it, I love the story. Thank you for being so fair, you know, to my father uh, about it because all I had was, you know, letters and uh, I." I interviewed different people over the years. So I presented this as, you know, a lot of this probably did come from Biscuit. And when I got the letter from him, it's like, holy cow, a lot more 
game than I even realized. Yeah. And and, and, and again, I, I, I guess that Biscuit didn't follow up because uh, shortly after the, the war, he died in a, in a plane crash, unfortunately. And so, <laughs> and also the fact that, um, you know, the uh, uh, proceeds were going to go to the RAF uh, Benevolent Fund, and also the fact the film just never got made. So, uh, you know, but, but again, he, here, here was this missing piece. And another missing piece, Michael, that I, that I just found was uh, somebody sent me a, a, a model sheet done by Milt Banta. And Milt Banta was a Disney story man. He worked on, on a lot of the uh, uh, Disney uh, uh, shorts and animated features, but he was not hired until after this project was dead and buried. And yet, here's a model sheet of Milt Banta, who's a story man, and he's drawing his versions of Gremlins. Well, isn't that interesting? Like, What's well, the story behind that? Yeah. Well, there you go, part two. <laughs> Gremlin <laughs> trouble, part two. Well, I, again, it, there's always more to any uh, uh, Disney story, and... Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm 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 hoping, and in, in fact, that's one of the reasons that I write what I write because I know that even if I don't have all of the information in the world, and I I lit, I have friends, I have one friend who has has written a book about uh, Disney in World War II, and it was finished 30 years ago. It has not been published because he keeps saying. Well, I know I can find other stuff. I said you should let this out now, right, <laughs> so people right, can use two. what you've got now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And you, you uh, never—I always say you never complete a book; you just abandon it. Oh, That's I like that. I, I I like that phrase. I, I'm I'm going to steal that from you, and I probably will never give you credit. But that's, <laughs> that's exact. No, I of course I'll give you credit. Um, <laughs> But not if people really laugh, you know. Then, then it's like, well, that's okay. Uh, but, <laughs> but I, no, I like I, I like that phrase. You see, my feeling is you need to get that material out there now because Disney history is like a, a massive jigsaw puzzle, and we all have um, individual pieces. And if we sh- start to share our pieces then we can see, oh, well, this connects with this, and that connects with that. And so then you get a bigger picture, and you go, oh, that's not the sky. That's actually the ocean down here, and that's the reflection of a bird. Okay, I got that. Um, and so I do try to be very accurate. Uh, I, I, I know a lot of other things about gremlins that I didn't include in the book simply because I couldn't verify them. Mm-hmm. You know, And, and I guess I, I could have put it in and said, well, supposedly, or accordingly, but you know, uh, I want people to feel confident that when they buy a Jim Corcus book, that it's like this is as accurate as we can make it at this time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, we we always say the future is is constantly changing. I say the past is constantly changing because as we find more and more information we get a different perspective on things that we thought we knew, you know, uh, uh, were there. Um, so it, it, it's all just very fascinating. And, and I also feel that if I get that out he- there, then maybe it will 
like with with uh, Biscuit's son, you know, bring people out of the woodwork with with another part of the the story or a little bit more that 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 we can add, and and so it can help it, people today enjoy it, and then you know, mm-hmm. and, and hopefully, I, I was hoping that this book would you know nudge some people over at, at Disney, and they go. You know, maybe we should look at that again. <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking, well, of course, um, folks who, and I think you do mention this in your book, but I, I'm not into video games, but mm-hmm. I did enjoy Epic Mickey. And mm-hmm. Gremlin Gus is very is important. He's in there as, as Mickey's in guide. Mickey. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I always thought. But, but again, you know, Epic Mickey, that all fell apart. That's gone. Yeah. That's ancient history now, right? I know. But, but, but see, but the, the Gremlins keep reappearing i always thought mm-hmm. you know when they opened disney california adventure and, you know we have that they had that airfield yes. you know, section it's now i always thought they michael genius the disney yeah. should be hiring you that that's absolutely it yeah that they could fit the gremlins in there it's the era and mm-hmm. um you know they we have soar in there and all that uh they they should work the gremlins characters in that section well, so. well the, the characters just have such appeal you know i did there's just something about and that's why people keep coming back to them you know what what could what could we do with this and and for me there's just a a a real um uh sense of appeal of the uh the characters themselves and and you see on the cover of the book is uh an unpublished uh drawing of an unknown gremlin done for me by Bill Justice. So uh, yeah, I, w- I wanted to share it. that with other people too, <laughs> because I, as I said, Bill, Bill was just a, a, a wonderful fellow, very, uh, um, very talented, very soft hearted. Uh, and, and later in life, you know, he, he'd do um, uh, cruises like the big red boat and he'd do Disney events and all that. And he'd get paper plates, and he could draw almost all of the Disney characters. He'd draw a character on a paper plate and then fling it like a Frisbee out into the <laughs> audience. And people would go crazy and insane. But he never signed the drawings. And I said, Bill, maybe you should just, you know, or, or even just your initials. He said, no, no. He says, I do that so that people will then bring the plate back up to me so that I can, you know, meet them and talk with them. Oh, and, and, and and one time I, I, I talked to him and I said, well, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of uh, Disney people, you know, uh, Ward Kimball, I, I knew Ward Kimball, and Ward Kimball would collect all the old um, Mickey Mouse toys and all that, among other things. And I said, Bill, is there anything in particular that you collect? And Bill said, I collect friends. Hmm. And and yeah. he really didn't have uh, much of his his uh, uh, Disney stuff. It, one of the few things he had was uh, his copy of uh, the original printing of the Gremlins, and and you know uh, only fifty thousand were printed, you know, in the United States, which is why they became very expensive. Because again, it was considered a kids' book, so you would give it to a kid, and of course, the first thing the kid would do was take crayons, and you know in the book or tear out the pages, whatever. So Bill had a book, but one of the reasons he, he kept it was not just because he had done the art for it, but that Walt had uh, written an inscription in the front of the book. 
mm-hmm. and I reprint that yes. in the Gremlin Trouble book uh, uh, as well. And and Bill said this is one of the fondest treasures I have of, of my time at Disney. Yep, to Bill Justice with all my thanks and appreciation for a swell job. Sincerely, Walt Disney. And and, so. and and Bill said that was Walt's way of telling me it wasn't my fault that the project <laughs> didn't go through. Yeah. And um, yeah, uh, Walt had had opened a, a, an account for the book, spent fifty thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars, which uh, again was a, a lot of money in 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 mm-hmm. nineteen forty two, and and to get nothing back from it. So yeah. now I now I'm sure all our listeners are wondering, and I and Craig and I are too. When you were researching and writing your book. Gremlin Trouble, the cursed rolled doll film Disney never made. Did Gremlin Gus or any of his chums pay you a visit and help you along with their story? That's a, a great question. Never been asked uh, to me before. And um, I don't know whether I should give an honest answer or not, but I, <laughs> but I will. I'll, 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 take a, I'll take a chance on this. Is... Um, it's interesting. Something happened to me on this book that has never happened on any other book I've, I've written. And, and of course, since I've written this book, I'm I'm off on a on another book. We've we've talked about that, and uh, uh, this hasn't happened on it. Um, oftentimes, when I was writing that book, sometimes out of the corner of my eye, I would catch a little shadow movement, and um, in fact, I just went to the doctor a couple of weeks ago to get new pair of glasses, and he says your peripheral vision is perfect; it's fine. You know, it, it's you know, seeing things at a distance. You need some help with here. Um, and I would see, and I was thinking, well, you know, this is Florida. There's lots of things like squirrels and raccoons and lizards and frogs and all this, and you know, but and and things started. Uh, I, I have a little. Uh, uh, dining room table near uh, my computer, and and so sometimes things that are important or some, things that I I really need to to deal with, I'll put right there on the dining room table so it's 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 visible for me. And every now and then something would disappear, hmm. and it's like I know I put it right here. I put it right here specifically for this. I'm not putting it in a special hidey hole spot or whatever. It's here, and it's supposed to be out. And and it's and it's just gone. Now, eventually, most of those things showed back up, but not on the dining room table, interestingly enough. And the thing that was really scary for me is I was sitting on the sofa, and the TV was off. It was it was late at night. It was quiet uh, outside. You know, the uh, uh, you know the Disney fireworks had ended. I, where I lived, I can hear the Disney fireworks. You know, and and it was all still. And I'm sitting there. And uh, I print out, because I, I hate reading on the computer, I, I printed out a hard copy so I could go through the proof, you know, because I wanted to see, you know, what a, what somebody reading would actually see. And so I'm, I'm going through here and I'm looking for, you know, misspelled words or, you know, can I clarify this a little bit? And I heard as clearly as I, I, I've heard you and Mike, uh, you and uh, Craig today, I heard Jim and I just froze, and it came from somewhere in the house, and it was so real that I 
put down the manuscript and I got up and I started to look around and I, I, you know, went down the hall and I, I looked in a corner and, you know, that's it. Never heard no. that before. Never heard it again. How fascinating. Huh? No, it's scary is what I, I know. Well, you know, <laughs> it is, and, and, and it's like, wait, wait, I'm not, you know, I, I like these guys, but you know, I, I, I'm I'm not ready to invite them over to dinner here. What what, what is this stuff? But, yeah, well, but yes, while I was working on this book, there, were, there there was some movement. There was something going on. Now, fortunately, nothing bad happened. My car didn't fall apart, and you know, my computer didn't go all haywire. But there was just something I can't explain that was yeah. you know, the, and 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 I'm still, you know. Because I try to be logical about things. Where would, you know, Jim? And it, it's like somebody calling you to 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 wake you up or uh, call you to to uh, dinner or whatever. And it's like, and and it, it wasn't angry. It, it it was like you know, oh, this is somebody who knows me. What? Yeah. What what, well, what the heck is that? Well, and yeah. and this is probably the only time I'll ever tell that story. But yeah. but yeah, you know. Yeah, well, I, and, and and I've seen ghosts before. I I you know when when I was in in college, I I, I was part of a foolish group that went out looking for ghosts. Don't do that, you know, <laughs> they <follow laughs> because you'll you find home. them. You'll find them. Don't do that. Uh, that's my advice uh, yeah. to young people today. <laughs> you know what's funny is you you bring up that story of mysterious things going on in your house because you know I've been researching. You know, for as you know, I've been researching this for a few weeks to get ready for the show, mm-hmm. and uh, and not just reading your books, but I, I've you know been going online and doing a few other things. And uh, Carol said last week, I don't know what's into those cats, and because we have we have two house cats. I said, what? She mm-hmm. says they're playing with somebody, but I can't see them. But it's uh, but they're playing with somebody in the house. She said they're romping and playing mm-hmm. with them, and she says I can't figure it out. <laughs> so listen, uh, there, there are more things than <laughs> than we could ever imagine. And and yeah. and, and I've I've I'm I'm a dog person, but I've had I've had cats, and I've found that cats more than dogs actually can sense something else. Yeah, yeah. So, so sometimes uh, cats sometimes cats are just crazy, but. <laughs> Oh, Other times, kind of it's like they, they I don't know, there's a, another plane or there's, and, and again, you know, uh, we think of this as, as, as superstition and all this, you know, it, it's just, maybe we're just not aware of this yet, you know, w- when explorers came back from Africa and talked about this massive uh, uh, human-like figure, you know, that was covered in hair and would pound its chest and all that, you know, people would laugh at them, you know. Turned out to be a gorilla. When when people first came and described a platypus, it's like, yeah, tell me another one, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Something like that, uh, you know, with a beaver's tail and a duck's bill and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of stuff out there we just don't know that no. uh, I I think we'll eventually yeah uh, uh, we'll go. Oh, I guess that's always been there. All right. And, you know, and Jim has told us a lot about gremlins, um, but, you know, 
there's even more to them in his book, Gremlin Trouble, The Cursed World Doll Film Disney Never Made. And uh, so if you want to learn more about Gremlins, maybe they'll pay you a visit when you're reading the book. Uh, you can... Um, <laughs> You can, as Jim mentioned, you can get them. I got mine at Amazon.com. But you can also get them directly from Theme Park Press. And I like going to Theme Park Press, too, because I like to see what books of Jim's I don't have yet. So, Because, like I, as I mentioned earlier, Jim um, has written over 20 um, Disney books. And, Jim, you, you let me know before the show you're writing, you're about to publish, actually, a book on my favorite park. Um, uh, Disneyland. Do you want to tell our listeners a little, little about that book? Oh, I, and when I, they, I'd when love it's to coming out because I always get excited. To, uh, I, you know, I, I I write these things because it's like I'm excited about this subject. I want other people to know this. You know, I I want this to be out there so that because uh, we lose so so much of, of this uh, uh, stuff. So so yes. Yeah, so I've written um, two books called. Um, uh, secret stories of Walt Disney World, and so each book has uh, uh, almost a uh, hundred stories. They're each uh, two pages long, and uh, about the parks, about the resorts, about uh, um, uh, the areas outside the the, the parks, history, all, all that. And they've they've proved very very popular. And so my uh, publisher said, "Well, you know, Jim, you grew up." In Southern California, you went to Disneyland as a kid and a, as a teenager, a, 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 as an adult, and and uh, all of that. Uh, and and you interviewed all these Imagineers and 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 all. Do you, do you think you could write a book about uh, Disneyland, secret stories of Disneyland? And I thought, gosh, that that's a hard book to write because there's so many. Disneyland books out there, you know, that are secrets and, and hidden stories and, and all that. And there's DVDs and there's websites and all that. Uh, so I sat down and I struggled, but I came up with um, secret stories of Disneyland. And in fact, this weekend I finished um, uh, doing the proof, uh, the final proof. And so it'll be out before the end of uh, April probably be out a lot sooner than that but but again you're getting stories of uh, all the different eight lands of disneyland plus there's another chapter called beyond the berm which which talks about um uh things like the parking lot and the berm itself and uh other things and so i'm very excited about that i hope people w will like that i i really struggled so uh you know because all of us our Disney fans, we and Disneyland fans all know certain things. So I tried to come up with with things that that people didn't know, like uh, uh, on the Snow White wishing well. Um, you know, uh, when it was originally there at, at uh, uh, Disneyland, they were using a clip from um, uh, uh, the movie, and then when digital technology came in they wanted to upgrade and they called in um adriana casalotti who had done the voice of snow white in the film uh you know when she, when she was just a, a teenager and uh, disney had often used her on promotions and all that but but again 
uh, at that time, she was 67 years old. And oh so goodness. when you get older, sometimes your voice is not, you know, quite as, as, as uh, fluid and you sometimes can't hit, you know, those same notes. And, and so they've had other people do the voice of Snow White, but they brought her in uh, as a courtesy uh, to, to record the, uh, the song, I'm Wishing. And she's doing this and she just can't hit some of these notes. And, and this is a story that Adriana told me. Uh, and so I've included it in the book. And so she could see the looks on, on, on their faces and knew that, you know, they were probably going to go with somebody else. And she said, could you wait just one moment? And she turned away from the microphone and she looked up and she whispered, Mr. Disney, if you're up there, help me to find Snow White's voice. And she turned back to the microphone and sang and she hit it perfectly. Wow, what a great story. And, 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 and so that's used in the wishing well now. And you know that song, I'm Wishing? Mm-hmm. What happened is uh, John Lennon of the Beatles, I love the Beatles, John Lennon of the Beatles, his mother would always sing him at, to sleep at night songs from Snow White. And so in 1963, John Lennon, wrote a Beatles song based on I'm Wishing. Listen, do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? Beatles song, and that's in the book. Those are the (laughs) kinds of stories that you will find in the book. Well, (laughs) all of Jim's stories, I love the Vault of Walt series, and I'm reading... I'm usually reading three or four books at once because Mm -hmm. I'm researching different things for different you know Disneyland show this show Jim you know I'm working on a on a presentation my first presentation that I'm giving to a which is going to be gangbusters I'm sorry I'm not going to be there to see it um but so I hope they're going to tape it um actually it is being recorded so uh from what I understand but they're uh they're um I'm reading Vault of Vault 5 and Mm -hmm. and the one thing Jim tells stories that you're just not going to find anywhere else. And, uh, you know, I when I I think, oh, I know all the Disneyland stories. And, you know, we were talking off air uh, mm-hmm. beforehand. You were telling some of the stories. I thought, I've not heard any of these. <laughs> yeah. did, did, did you have one that, that uh, I, I know one that you reacted to was that, uh, of course, in uh, the Winnie the Pooh stories by A.A. A. Milne, uh, Christopher Robin, of course, is based on Milne's son, Christopher Milne. And the characters in Winnie the Pooh are based on uh, Christopher Milne's toys, which mm-hmm. still exist, uh, and they're in a museum. But that's the reason that Eeyore, the donkey, has a nail in his tail, and the tail keeps dropping off because it was the toy that Christopher Milne used for pin the tail on the donkey. See, and that was the part I didn't know. <laughs> that was great. But, but it all makes sense when somebody tells you, it right? Does. It does. So I'm looking forward to that book and, and learning even more. And, and, and listeners... so when you go to themeparkpress.com, you'll see when Secret Stories of Disneyland is, is out there, or you can check Amazon.com. And uh, yes, even, even though I finished that book, I'm writing another. Great. And I, I hope there won't be any too. gremlins bothering you while I do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And then if our listeners, if you are around the Orlando area on June 10th, 2017, uh, Jim, you are doing a presentation on Disney and World War II, correct? Right, at the Museum of uh, Military History in Kissimmee. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I'll even be showing uh, some of the Disney uh, animated shorts that haven't been seen since World War II. Oh, wow. uh, so fortunately, I have friends who are uh, uh, film collectors, and they've loaned me a couple of those to show during uh, uh, my presentation there, because I, I'm, I'm never convinced that I'm fascinating enough to hold the attention of anybody. So, hmm. But as long as there's something, it, as long as there's cartoons, people always like to come and see. <laughs> so, okay, I'm, I'm going to be in Orlando the week before because the Diz is celebrating its 20th anniversary. So can I get, like, mm. are you going to do a dry run of this? Can I get a sneak preview? Of this I might do a dry cartoons? run just uh, just for you. Yes. Okay, I will be in touch. And, and the... the Museum of Military History, because uh, I looked at their website the other day after Jim told me about this. Um, it looks fantastic. And they're at 5210 West Erlo Bronson Highway in Kissimmee, Florida. So uh, hi- highly recommend, you know, if you're out there get to go see and, this. And park. always make sure you tune in to Diz Unplugged, and you'll get things that you won't get at any other podcast. That's right. I appreciate it. Well, Jim, thank you so much for joining well, thank us. Thank you. What a delightful way to, to, to spend an afternoon. We, we need to do this more often. I agree. Yeah. Well, definitely, I think when that Disneyland book comes out, you know, I think you'll be over on our Disneyland show, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> and, and, you know, this year is, is the anniversary of Snow White. It was released in 1937. Wow, that's right. And, hmm. and so there's lots of Snow White stories that, that – People don't know, just like they don't know. Uh, one of my favorite stories is like Pinocchio, which was for the premiere of Pin- Pinocchio. Up on the marquee, they hired little people and put them in Pinocchio costumes up there to, to dance around and wave at the people and all that. Well, what happened is it, it was a very hot day, and so with ropes, they uh, set up uh, a, a couple of uh, uh, beers for people. Well, these little people, after they drank the beers, the uh, they found it was so hot, they uh, stripped out of the uh, costumes. So they're sitting there naked playing cards, and they're they're peeing over the side of the marquee. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, so <laughs> Disney is full of wonderful, wonderful stories. That is, and we'll look forward to having you back on so you can um, share more of them with us on Connecting with Walt. And I I hope people will pick up a couple of books as well. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Craig, as always. Thanks, Jim. You're welcome. Thank you, Jim. It was was wonderful as always. Oh, Craig, another great, great episode with Jim Corcus. Absolutely. uh, Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you just never know quite where you're going to go with Jim, but it's always a fascinating, fascinating journey. I you know, completely and, agree. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah. and if only people could hear everything that, uh, that we talked about before we even went on the air and then uh, after we stopped recording, too, because it's, it's just <laughs> so much more, even. Oh, I know. I was wondering if you were recording on, uh, you know, prior to when we started because i thought okay can you edit it and drop it into the show (laughs) i I should have been 
<laughs> I know, but but we did get a little of it into the show. Exactly. So, um, anyway, we worked it back in again. But um, now, had you ever heard the story of Walt Disney's Gremlins before? Now, never in that detail that uh, we got to be a part of today. But you know, I, I knew a little bit about it. Um, just naturally, uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time is uh, Joe Dante's Gremlins. I, I just mm-hmm. absolutely uh, adore that movie since I discovered it while I was growing up. And uh, then when I started watching Twilight Zone, we mentioned the the um, the Bill Shatner episode with a gremlin in it, too, on the wing of the plane. And that just sparked it. So I have done my own research throughout uh, the years, learning more about it and, you know, knowing the little the gremlin character in the Walt Disney animation. I'd, I'd always known that. So I, I dug in a little bit, but uh, just not on the level that we got here today. That's just yeah. the best. Well, and I knew, I knew about gremlins because that was just sort of part of vocabulary when I was a boy. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, oh, gremlins got into it or, 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 you know, something like that. And I always wondered where the term flippity chibbit came from. Because, you know, that always meant somebody that was sort of flighty yeah, yeah. or something. And, and even in, in The Sound of Music, in the song Maria, she's referred to as a flippity chibbit. Oh, yeah. And, and I, didn't, I didn't know until um, I read when, with the reprint uh, that Dark Horse did a few years ago of the Gremlins um, book, what a flippity chibbit was and where that came from. So it, it, so it was really interesting. Yeah. So a uh, fascinating, a fascinating bit of Disney history and and sort of the history of the United States, you yeah. know, during the war. Absolutely. And 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 Britain as well. And if you would like to hear more about the Walt Disney Studios during World War II, you may be interested in my conversation with Disney historian and author David Lesjack on our Dis Unplugged podcast, Disneyland Edition. And we will have a link to that episode in our show notes. And so please join us next time for episode 31 of Connecting with Walt, in which Craig and I saddle our ponies for a ride through the history of the Magic Kingdom's frontier land. So, Craig, until our next episode, where can our listeners find you on the Dis Unplugged Podcast Network? Yes, you can find me uh, every Tuesday on uh, the Dis Unplugged Disney World edition, Thursdays on the Universal edition. Um, uh, well, it seems like lately I've been on a lot of Diz Pop, so you can yes. keep finding me on that on Fridays as well. And then uh, the Diz Daily Fix, which happens every day right around uh, 12 o'clock. I will be on those usually uh, usually at least once a week, if not more. So that's if you still need more of my face or my musings after that, then you can always follow me on Twitter at uh Teleclaster is my my tag name on that. Excellent. And you can find me every Sunday night on the Dis Unplugged podcast, Disneyland edition, with my good friends Tom Bell, Nancy Johnson, Mary Jo Mulatto-Willie, and Tony Spatel, where we have lots of fun talking about Walt's part that started it all, and all the Southern California theme parks, and I talk a lot about the Walt Disney Family Museum and even more Disney history. So you can listen to us live on Mixler on Sundays at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, 
Disneyland time. And you can download our two weekly shows from iTunes each Monday. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes. Craig always has a link to those in our show notes. Mm-hmm. They're also at www.disunplug.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. You can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, Michael Bowling. And Instagram, Michael Bowling the Diz. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. <laughs>